the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 12, Found and Losing. No, they didn't put up much of a fight, said a guardsman that Martin didn't recognize. Seeing their leader split on him, and the bangers disappearing like cockroaches when you turn the lights on. Well, it really squashed their mood, you know. Kutch, Martin, and Trevor peered through the open door. They saw two dozen men in black jumpsuits sitting on the floor of a conference room, hands tied behind their backs. None of them looked up. Any casualties? Kutch asked. Ah, Benson took one in the calf, said a guardsman. Not bad. One of these guys took a round in the shoulder. Another got some shrapnel in the face. Marcus is tending to him in that room over there. Hey, Dad, said Dustin. I got our stuff from out by the fence. Laptop battery is stone-cold dead. Dustin surprised himself at his own words. Quinn was likely stone-cold dead, too. Um, I mean, uh, there's no charge left. Martin gave his son a look that said not to worry about it both about the battery and his comment about the dead. Yo, Kutch, Sanchez called from the door that led to the parking lot. The guys have found some vehicles in the loading bay. Yeah, anything good? Oh, nothing really. Sanchez tried to put on a nonchalant air, but his smile ruined the effect. There's a pair of non-running MRAPs that they were doing some maintenance on. And there's a couple of black suburbans with IR headlights. Uh, that's kind of interesting. What else? said Kutch. You don't grin like that over a couple of suburbans. Well, there's a van and an Oshkosh 1078. You're stalling. <laughs> hey, come take a look at what we found. Martin followed along, as did Dustin and Charles, Jeff, Mike, and Red from the gate attack team. They followed, too. Around the back of a tall blue sheet metal building stood a massive green six-by-six six truck. The long bed had a full canvas cover. The engine hood was open, and a guardsman was reaching inside. Huh? Huh? Sanchez primed his audience with a give-me-applause gesture. Behold the spoils of war! Kutch stared with his mouth open. A five-ton? I've been wanting another five tons since, uh, since, uh, Sanchez finished Kutch's sentence. Since yours got reassigned to a coastal group. Oh, yeah, yeah she's early 90s, uh, but in pretty good shape. The batteries are gone out of the box, the guardsman under the hood said to Kutch. Good thing is, though, they uncoupled them instead of cutting the cables. What a mess that would have made. Ruffy went to take some batteries out of some other vehicles. He's looking for some fuel, too. Yeah, tank's empty. Oh, man! Kutch ran his hand along the fender. Oh, we could really use this beast. Yeah, assuming you can get it running again, cautioned the mechanic. Hey, guys! called another guardsman, crossing the parking lot. He pushed a work cart ahead of him. I found the truck's batteries in that other building over there. They were hooked up to a solar array. They were using it to power a coffee pot. Got some fuel from that black tank beside the service barn? Not a lot left in it, but enough to get Betsy started and back to base. You named it Betsy? 
Or, or whatever. Can't just call her truck. No dignity in that. He wheeled the batteries over to the battery box. And if we do get her going, uh, what do you want to do with all the corn in the back? All the what? Corn. Yeah, the bed's full of ears of corn. Martin climbed up the back and flung open the dark green canvas curtain. Charles climbed up to see, too. Ears of corn filled the bed, piled over four feet deep near the front. Jeff and Mike peered over the tailgate. Oh, that must be Clyde's corn, Martin said, mostly to himself. It was, said Charles, but it's ours now, baby. <laughs> spoils of war. Wait, we have to divvy up the spoils. Uh, how many guys took part in this operation? Charles counted on his fingers and knuckles. Yeah, twenty-four. Yeah, still, even if we split it twenty-four ways, yeah, that'll be a good personal haul. Oh, man, said Sanchez. Yeah, we don't want no corn. We just want the trucks. Well, we've got no fuel for trucks, said Charles, but we sure could use this corn. Oh, imagine, Charles turned to Jeff and Mike. We'd have seed stock for a hundred acres. Uh, more like forty, said Red. Yeah, but he's right. We're short having enough seed to plant all the corn we need to grow. This here batch will put us over the top. Mike and Jeff smiled at each other. Yeah, about time we caught a break. Yeah, great news there, eh, Simmons? Um... Martin was reluctant to interrupt the celebration. Uh, I hate to be the wet blanket, but I think this is Clyde Gradick's corn. What? Well, look at the tires, Charles. Martin pointed around the side. Isn't that the pattern you saw in the dirt at Clyde's farm last fall? What? Well, I mean, lots of trucks have tires with... Oh, you know I'm right, said Martin. We can't take this. It's stolen property, and we know who the rightful owner is. Oh, come on, Simmons, scolded Mike. Clyde wanted to throw you in jail. He even threatened to kill you. He's a greedy, lecherous opportunist. Mike was fishing for stronger labels. No name called Mike, admonished Jeff. So, Simmons, uh, what if we just say we're taking this by uh, eminent domain, okay? Uh, make it community property? You know that's not how eminent domain works. Quinn stole this from Clyde. The right thing to do is to return it to him. He's only got a few acres of field, said Red. He can't plant all that. Well, maybe not, but it's still his, said Martin. He could feel his face getting hot. Being the one voice of dissent was uncomfortable, but he couldn't shake his conscience either. Well, maybe he'll try to price gouge selling some of it to us for seed. Well, maybe he won't. The thing, too, is that Cheshire really needs his expertise on how to grow corn well. We'll have this one growing season to get it right. No time for experiments and failures. If we bring this corn back to him, it'll be an olive branch. We need him, and he needs us. Oh, dang it, Simmons, grumbled Mike. Why do you always make things so difficult? The starter motor of the big truck began to whine. The engine puffed a few times, but failed to catch. The second crank of the starter succeeded. Black smoke ballooned out of the exhaust stack. The big Cummings diesel clattered to life amid the cheers of the two mechanics. Yeah, I want to get some more fuel over here first. But after that, I can deliver your corn to some place. Uh, where do you want it? He looked from face to face at the men standing behind the truck. One by one, they turned and walked away. Charles muttered that he had to drive his own truck back. Jeff and Mike went with Red in his buckboard. Ah, uh, that just leaves you, my man. 
said Sanchez. Uh, where do you want your corn? Martin sighed. Uh, I'll show you the way. Get your stuff, Dustin. We're going home after a detour. Yeah, I bet you guys will be glad to get home, eh? Sanchez beamed as he bounced in the driver's seat. The big truck rattled and squeaked as they rumbled down the deserted roadway. Yeah, said Martin. We've been away for almost a week getting this airport thing together. It'll be great to be back, said Dustin. I'm really sick of sleeping alone. He stopped talking suddenly. Such topics were TMI in front of someone he didn't know well, and his father. His wide eyes glanced at the other two men to see if they had heard him. Hey, not to worry, my man, smiled Sanchez. My wife will be happy to see me, too. Martin smiled. He remembered the early days with Margaret when sleeping alone was unthinkable. Over the years, the newlywed agenda had grown accustomed to taking a back seat, to midnight feedings, sick children, and helping with the do-the-next-day homework. After the kids were out of school, business, community work, and good deed projects took the place of tummy aches and tournaments. Passion was a perk to be fit in if there was time, and there was seldom time. Getting enough sleep had become more of a priority. Martin wondered if passion had grown too patient, or had maybe gone to sleep alone by itself. When Susan kissed him on the cheek just before running off to help with Longbow, it wasn't a token peck. Warm, moist lips lingered soft. He didn't realize that he had been holding his breath as he watched her disappear into the woods until his lungs ached and forced him to take a deep breath. Did soulmate feelings not lapse into the roommate phase? Martin growled and shook his head as if he had bitten into the sourest lemon on the planet. Such thoughts had to be chased away, like raccoons around the chicken coop. He refused to allow himself to think in those categories. Are you okay, Dad? Huh? Uh, what? Why? Uh, yeah, I just had a cramp uh, thing. Since when do you shout no to a cramp? I did? I mean, of course I did. Who would say yes to a cramp? Oh, hey, we're almost there. Slow down, said Martin. After that pond there, it's the next left. Sanchez stopped the six-wheeler just beyond Clyde's dirt driveway. He began to back in. In the side mirror... Martin could see three men running out of the front door and down the steps. One was older, with tousled gray hair. The other two were younger, with brown hair and beards. All three had long guns in hand. Martin drew a deep breath as he pulled open the door latch. Eh, looks like it's showtime. What the hell do you think you're doing? shouted one of Clyde's adult sons. You'd better get off my property, or I'll... Yeah, wait, I know you. Clyde pulled his shotgun stock up to his shoulder, but the double barrels were still pointed to the ground. You're that troublemaker. Simmons. Um, yeah. Uh, hi, Clyde. Hi, nothing. Last time I'd seen you, I said I'd put a bullet in you if I ever seen you again, for all the trouble you caused me. Oh, I remember. So you got a death wish? I had to bring you something. Martin tipped his head to point at the six-wheeler. I don't need no stinking trucks, said Clyde, especially no honking huge trucks. 
Do you know how much fuel those things eat? They ain't got no. Hey, Dad, called out Clyde's other son. He stood on the rear bumper of the truck. Come look at this. Clyde eyed Martin suspiciously as he backed toward the rear of the truck. He motioned for his other son to keep his gun on Martin. After climbing up on the tailgate, Clyde stared into the interior for a long minute. He reached for one of the ears and studied it carefully. He hopped down and approached Martin, squinting skeptically. Okay, what's this all about? Clyde asked. That's my quarn. I know, we're bringing back your stolen property, Martin said. He recounted briefly about Quinn and the airport raid and them finding that truck full of his corn. Martin left out the part where the others planned to try to keep his corn. Well, if you're expecting some kind of a reward, or that I'm gonna grovel at your feet gushing thank you, thank you, you're in for a whopping disappointment. I'm not expecting anything, Martin said. He was, however, somewhat entertained by Clyde's confliction. Clyde clearly wanted to be furious at Martin, yet he was delighted at having his corn back. Martin knew how some independently-minded men have a strong dislike for charity. It makes them beholden to someone. Accepting charity is like surrendering some of their independence. Some men would rather die than surrender an inch of independence. Well, it's your corn. Figured you should have it back. Simple as that. Would you like Airman Sanchez to back the truck up to your corn crib? Make it easier for your sons to shovel the corn back inside? Clyde frowned. The confliction got worse. Consenting to a kind deed was charity, too. I'd do whatever you want, Clyde grumbled. Martin waved to Sanchez. The big diesel rumbled to life. The truck backed slowly until it was within a couple feet of the corn crib. Clyde's two sons shoveled quickly. Their wives gathered up the spilled or badly handled ears into baskets and dumped those in the crib. All the while, Clyde stood between Martin and the unloading operation. His arms were folded high across his chest and a scowl set on his face. Martin stood motionless, his hands in his jacket pockets. They resembled two chess pieces stuck in a stalemate. When Sanchez fired up the engine and the truck rolled down the dirt driveway, Martin took a step toward the road. I don't owe you nothing, said Clyde. Eh, no, you don't, said Martin. You only got back what was rightfully yours. Darn right. See you later, Clyde, Martin said as he swung himself up to the passenger door. Clyde only frowned. His two sons and their wives came alongside Clyde. They were smiling even if he wasn't. Oh, man, that is one bitter dude, said Sanchez. <laughs> he certainly wanted to be, said Martin. I didn't make that very easy for him. Yeah, where can I drop you guys off? Sanchez asked. Well, we could walk from the end of our road, Dustin offered. Save you a little fuel. As Martin and Dustin approached the house, Lucas popped up from the hidden observation blind beside the garage. Oh, Mr. S., it is you. Oh, thank God. Lucas ran up to Martin. Lucas, what are you doing in the box? Martin asked. Where's your father? Oh, he is not back from town yet. And Mama is busy helping. You must come quickly. Lucas pulled Martin by the hand toward the front door. Well, where's Trevor and Andy? Martin asked. 
Either of those young men would have been a more logical choice for the front watch. But they're in back, uh, watching for raiders. Uh, come, come. Lucas pulled with the tenacity of a sled dog. Uh, maybe you should take Lucas's place in the box for a little while, Martin said to Dustin. I'll be back out in a little bit to relieve you. The look on Lucas's face gave Martin a feeling of foreboding. Pushing through the front door, Martin was struck by the thick wave of a musty spice smell that made his eyes water. Oh, whoa, what is that? Oh, he's here, Judy called down the hallway from the top of the stairs. What is it? Martin asked. He sloughed off his backpack and set his carbine in the corner. And what is that smell? An ointment, said Judy. She's in here. Judy hurried down the hall to the master bedroom. Martin followed. The foreboding deepened. Oh, Martin, said Connie, I'm so glad you're here. Well, I am too, but will someone please tell me what's going on? Something was clearly wrong. Uh, where's Margaret? In here, came a raspy voice from the bedroom. Martin entered to find Margaret lying on the bed with only a wet towel covering her chest and hips, despite the house being cool. Beads of sweat dotted her forehead. I'm glad you're back, Margaret said softly. She laid her head back on her pillow. This pose was atypical for Margaret. She was always the one standing, laboring over someone else's sickbed. He picked up Margaret's hand. It was hot and wet. Oh, what is it? Martin asked Connie. Is it beaver fever? Uh, we've always been careful with our water. It's not that. No diarrhea. She's got an infection that's going internal said Connie. Oh, what infection? Connie pulled the sheet back from Margaret's arm. It was swollen and red. A large open sore on her forearm looked like she had been attacked by an animal. Ah! Martin recoiled. That looks horrible. I know. I'm keeping it clean, but also trying to leave it open to the air, and hoping we can fight the infection at the source. We? Candace has been helping me. Connie tipped her head to point out Candace, who stood back in a corner. What is she doing here? Martin demanded. Don't get all gruff, Margaret scolded. She wanted to help with some of her herbal remedies. Well, that's clearly not helping. Look at that, Martin pointed to the sore. Actually, said Connie, I think it might be helping slow it down, at least a little. And even though I don't put a lot of stock in home remedies, we're frankly short on standard options. I'm willing to try just about anything. Well, what about antibiotics? asked Martin. We have some in... Used them up, said Margaret in a hoarse whisper. She's been on them for the past five days. I gave her the last in a large dose this morning, said Connie. I'm hoping it will break the fever overnight. If it does, then she'll come out of it okay. If... Martin didn't like hearing that there was an option. He had known too many others who had fallen ill with something minor and later died. Margaret was always strong, always the caregiver. There could be no if for her. Without a lab or anything, we really don't know what we're dealing with. Clearly, that scrape on her arm got infected. Well, yeah, look at it. And clearly, the herbal snake oil has been a waste of time. Candace hung her head. Now don't be too quick to judge, cautioned Connie. I do think it's been slowing the growth around the sore. The Tylenol's been helping keep the fever down, or at least not as bad, 
we need any help we can get. I'm hoping Candace's herbals will give the amoxicillin a bit less to have to deal with. Lucas burst up to the door. Hey, Papa is back! Carlos rushed in the door, but didn't enter the room. He was out of breath. I could only find a dozen pills. It was all anyone could scrape together. So much has been used already this winter. Oh, so little medicine left. He handed the bottle to Connie. Four amoxicillin, three monodox capsules, and some Teva tablets. Connie muttered as she poured the pills into her hand. Guess we'll have to hope your last dose will do the trick. She patted Margaret's forehead with a wet washcloth, but addressed the others in the room. She should get some rest. Let's all give her a little peace and quiet. Well, you all go ahead, said Martin. I'm staying here. He pulled the desk chair up beside the bed. He was not about to leave his wife's side. Connie ushered the others out. What happened? Martin asked. He took Margaret's hand in his. You, you were fine when I left. I guess I wasn't all that fine, huh? said Margaret. I thought I was just working too hard, tired all the time. The sore wasn't healing, is itchy. I thought I was just guilty of not changing the bandages often enough. I put more of Candace's goop on it and figured it would get better. Why didn't you say something? A little itchy, a little tired, what's to say? Everyone was so busy getting ready for that airport mission thing. I, I was focused on getting your stuff ready, too. I didn't have time to think about a silly little sore. That, Martin pointed to her arm, is not a silly little sore. Okay, not so silly, or so little now, but... I think Connie is right. She's the nurse after all. You should rest and let the antibiotic do its job. I'll wait right here. Martin sat in the chair beside the bed. Oh, don't be silly. You have things to do. Ah, I'll be fine. I'll tend to things when you're better. For now, I'm staying right here, in case you need anything. The first thing you need is sleep. Now, go to sleep. Oh, right. Just, just go to sleep. I'm too hot. My arm aches. I think I itch all over, too. And I can't stop thinking about all the stuff I need to do instead of lying here. Well, the only thing you need to do right now is sleep. Stop thinking and just sleep. Oh, you know that's not how I work, Margaret offered a weak smile. My mind is always spinning with things I need to do. Maybe I need a distraction. I can't binge watch old episodes of CSI anymore, she offered a wry smile. Uh, talk to me a while. Martin smiled slightly. So you're saying I put you to sleep when I talk? Margaret glanced at him with a smile. Oh, don't get all sensitive. Well, I can't talk about my day, Martin began. Too much action. I can say that we found Clyde's corn and returned it to him. Oh, really? After all these months? Oh, I bet Clyde was happy. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to be, uh, but he was. Martin replaced the wet washcloth on her forehead. Okay, yeah, you're right. Your day was probably too interesting for a bedtime story. Oh, oh, that's it. Why don't you tell me one of those long bedtime stories you used to make up for the kids? What? A bedtime story? It'll give me something else to think about. I loved those stories. 
I used to stand just outside of their door and listen. I think I liked them more than the kids did. Please. Martin buried his head in his hands. It was a reasonable request, but his mind was blank. He hadn't told bedtime stories for many years. How about one of those long stories with Gerber and Burbear? Margaret asked. And don't spare the descriptive detail. She laid her head back on the pillow and closed her eyes. You know how I like descriptive detail. The era of bedtime stories was so long ago. Martin's mind had been filled with more urgent business. Memories from early fatherhood were empty file folders. I'll help you, Margaret said. Once upon a time there were two bear brothers. Martin sighed. The outlines of old tales were taking shape. He tried to compose his voice. <clears throat> um, once upon a time there were two bear brothers. Gerbear was the impatient bear who always wanted to run. Burbear was a careful bear who spoke slowly. After ten minutes of a rambling story with little apparent plot but much descriptive detail, Martin noticed that Margaret's mouth hung open slightly. Her breathing was deep and slow. She was asleep. Well, at least I still have my superpower of rendering people unconscious when I speak, Martin thought. He slowly let go of her hand and slid down in the chair so that the backrest cradled his head. He was exhausted from his long night on the river and the day's events at the airport. He thought he would rest his eyes for a few minutes. Martin was startled awake by something brushing against his foot. Uh, what? Uh, what is it? His eyes were filmy and refused to focus. Oh, sorry, Connie whispered. It's just me coming to check on Margaret. She held her hand on Margaret's forehead. Connie's shoulders slumped. She's still burning up, Connie said. I had hoped the amoxicillin would have gained the upper hand. Well, what do we do now? Martin sat up and straightened his clothes. You got those pills that Carlos brought? She's been on amoxicillin for several days with no improvement. If it had been a common infection, she should have felt better in a couple of days. A few more pills of doxy or cephalexin aren't going to make any difference. Uh, what do you mean, regular infection? I mean, regular bacteria. I was hoping that's what it was. Uh, now I'm afraid it's MRSA. The name MRSA sent a chill down Martin's back. He and Connie had a mutual friend who died of MRSA. What? That's some sort of hospital disease thing, objected Martin. She hasn't been in a hospital in years. Yes, lots of MRSA cases are in hospitals. That's where I had to deal with it. Well, then where did she get it? There are MRSA germs everywhere, not just hospitals. They say almost everyone has MRSA bacteria on them. The counts are usually low and our bodies fight it successfully. Some studies show a link to livestock as possible hosts. Unsanitary conditions make it worse. But if someone had a bad cut and MRSA staff get in... Connie looked at the still sleeping Margaret. She cut her arm in the dairy barn. But you're only guessing, right? Martin grasped for straws. He didn't like the possibility that his wife was sick with MRSA. Connie shook her head. Well, there's no lab to send a sample to for culturing, so no, I can't be a hundred percent. But I've cared for many MRSA patients over the years. I got to know what it looks like. It isn't viral. 
and it's not your average bacterial infection. That kind of narrows it down. Okay, okay, let's say it is MRSA, Martin put on his business-like problem-solver voice. What do we treat MRSA with? Oh, that's just it, said Connie. There isn't a lot that works on MRSA. That's why it's called methicillin-resistant staph A. It takes special antibiotics. By the time I usually got MRSA patients, they were already on vancomycin. That's the usual go-to drug for MRSA. Oh, well, there you go. Vancomycin, said Martin. We'll look for that. He headed for the door. Oh, hold on. Connie stopped him by grabbing his sleeve. In the first place, you have no idea what to look for. It comes in different forms. Well, I should say came in different forms. There isn't any. What? Then why did you even bring it up? Martin protested. Connie sighed deeply. I was trying to help you understand. Understand what? Are you telling me that it's hopeless? No. Yeah, don't look that way. Look me in the eye and tell me it's hopeless. Go on. Martin held her eye in a fixed stare. Connie was hopeful to a fault, a quality that made her an excellent nurse. That's not fair, she grumbled. You know I can't do that. But times are different now, Martin. We don't have the full range of medical options. We haven't had that for months. Candace's herbal stuff helps, but it can't stop MRSA. Martin paced. Well, there must be something else. That Vanco, whatever can't be the only drug that works on MRSA. There must be something else. Well, Connie began hesitantly. Martin spun on his heel to face her. Ha! You do know of something else. What is it? Come on. What? I didn't want to raise false hopes. I've never used it or, or known anyone that used it. I don't know that works. It, I just read an article in a journal. Uh, okay, enough with the fine print, said Martin. What is this other drug? Connie sighed and shook her head. Uh, actually, it's three different antibiotics. None of them individually have much effect on MRSA. But this one study showed that using all three together killed MRSA 95% of the time. Something about how one antibiotic would inhibit MRSA's tricks to resist the others, etc. Yeah, I don't recall all the details. Martin stroked his chin as he paced. Okay, three drugs. We'll just have to find all three. Uh, where's my paper? Oh, oh, here. All right, now, you can recite these three from memory? I can. Ever since we lost Claudette to MRSA, I latched on to details like that. As if I were ever going to be able to go back in time, I could save her. Eh, silly, I know. She hung her head. Martin touched her arm. It's not silly. You did everything you could. Ah. <sighs> Pepricillin is one of them. Then Tazobactam. The last one is Meropenem. They're each antibiotics that are used for other types of infections. When you were asking around for antibiotics, did you ask about any of these? Martin waggled his notepaper. Oh, no. I wasn't thinking about them. I have no personal experience with them. Vancomycin works, so I asked around for that, too. Look, Martin... I don't want to raise false hopes in you based on an article I read. It's a long shot. You have to get all three in adequate amounts. Two out of three won't work. A long shot is not a false hope, Martin said. The odds might be slim, but the hope is real. Uh. 
Oh, hey there, podcast listening dudes and dudettes. Oh, Andy here. Uh, Mick just kind of wandered off and left his microphone unattended. Oh, uh, yeah. I think these somber chapters really sap the energy out of his aura, uh, you know? I'm brewing up a big pot of my special acorn coffee to help cheer him up. He really likes my slow-roasted acorn coffee. Yeah, well, at least uh, he hasn't said he hates it. So I'm taking that as, you know, like uh, an unspoken endorsement. No news is good news, uh, right? Uh, but what would really put the cosmic crackle back in Mick's aura would be a real cup of coffee. Yeah, well, by that I mean a real virtual cup of coffee, uh, like you do over at Buy Me a Coffee. Oh, yeah, when he gets one of those virtual cups of coffee, he gets that little smile like a puppy does when you rub him on the tummy. Oh, hey, you know what I mean. Oh, hey, he's coming back. Don't tell him I was talking to you or he might start locking his door. Oh, peace out and stuff.